Good morning, and welcome to the Revelation Power Podcast. I'm author and host Kevin Hopkins, and this is episode 41. Today we're in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we are starting in verse 13. So to catch you up in the first 12 verses of this chapter, we saw the constellations, the the omens, the signs in the heavens. And it's really important to remember that these characters are symbolic. The woman of first Israel and then the church, the dragon of Satan, the child of Christ, the Messiah. So with the symbolisms in mind, we can stay centered in, in making sense of this chapter reasonably. When we lose sight of the symbolism, we lose sight of everything that anchors us to reason. And then translating this or or trying to make sense of it becomes throwing darts at a board randomly and saying, well, maybe it means this, or perhaps it means this, or these could be this. They could be a lot of things, but we need to stick with what the book itself tells us that they are. They are omens, miracle signs. Uh, The one is the woman with the 12 stars. She is Israel who gives birth to the Messiah, who then runs out into the wilderness to hide for, uh, to be protected for three and a half years or 42 months or 1,260 days. Uh, An imperfect season. She's not going out there permanently. She won't always be in hiding, but until God has protected her and cared for her her through uh, whatever trials and tribulations are thrown at her by the enemy, she's going into that kind of protective custody, right? So she has the child. The dragon tries to get the child and misses it. Then quick break, Scene two, there was a war in heaven. This is what happened to the dragon and those who followed him. We're told that the dragon is indeed Satan, the devil, and that one third of the stars swept out of heaven onto the earth were his following angels, those who betrayed God, abandoned heaven to follow the devil, and they were all thrown down to the earth, out of God's presence, onto the earth, and woe is spoken on the earth because now all that demonic power lives here and people have to contend with it. That's what makes the world sinful and lost and broken and and filled with tribulation. It's not going to get worse uh, spiritually. It's always going to be a challenge. The devil lives here and works his mischief on the earth against the people of the earth. After that little vignette of war in heaven and the dragon and his followers being thrown to the earth, the scene changes again. Scene three begins in verse 12. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 13. Chapter 12, verse 13. And when the dragon realized that he had been thrown down to the earth, 
he stalked the woman who had delivered the male child. But the woman was provided with two wings, like those of a large eagle, that she might fly to her sanctuary in the wilderness, where God will take care of her for a time, times, and half a time, from the presence of the dragon. But the dragon spewed an immense flood of water, like a giant river, from his mouth in the direction of the woman, that she might be washed away. Yet the earth helped the woman and opened its mouth and swallowed up the river of water which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And the dragon was angry because of the woman and left to wage war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and maintained their witness to Jesus. Now you see that the rest of her children are the church, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So... A lot is at work here. It starts in in verse 13, when the dragon realized that he'd been thrown to the earth. There's this connotation, at least an implication, that the devil was somehow unconscious from the battle in heaven. He was flung to the earth unconscious. unconscious, and, And he comes to in a new place on the earth and realizes he's not in heaven anymore He's now earthbound. And the implication is he's mad at the woman because he's an egotist, because he's a narcissist, because he can't accept responsibility for himself, because he loves himself above everything else. He has to have someone to blame for the fact that he's no longer allowed in heaven. And so he blames the woman. It's her fault. She had that child. And he just wanted to eat the child. See, he he is exactly what he produces. When you see evil people on this earth, they are egotists. They are narcissists. They are self-lovers. And Jesus said, in the end times, men will be lovers of evil and lovers of themselves. The devil simply produces what he is. He doesn't have the ability to reproduce anything else in anybody else. And those whose eyes are cast on themselves will look like him, act like him, duplicate him. A lot of times we say that somebody's of the devil or possessed with the devil or they got the devil. Well, that's why, because in their selfish, narcissistic, egotistic state, They look just like him. It isn't that they're filled with the devil. It's just that they've become the very thing that they focus on. And the more they focus on themselves, the more that's what they become. He stalks the woman who delivered the male child because he blames her for what's happened to him. The woman, remember, is Israel. But the woman, back to the end of scene one, where it said she would be escorted out into the wilderness and hidden away in safety by God for 1,260 days. The woman, verse 14, was provided with great wings like a huge eagle that she might fly to her sanctuary in the wilderness where she will be taken care of for, 
And here's a different way to say three and a half years, 42 months, 1,260 days, a time times and half a time. This is a really interesting way to show you that these are not calendar years that the, that the Bible's talking about. Time, times, and half a time. It's three and a half times, three and a half measures, not seven, not a perfect number. It's a season. It may be a literal time frame, but it's not likely that it is. This is just an imperfect reference of time. It's a half a season. It's a, a half of a completed work. She's not sentenced to the wilderness. She's not imprisoned in the wilderness. She's taken to the wilderness for her protection from Satan. And Satan is not going to reign for an entire season. He doesn't get a perfect time. He doesn't get a whole, a whole set of years to his credit. His time will be cut short. He gets an imperfect amount of time because the work that he's doing is imperfect. And Jesus said, if the time hadn't been cut short, no one would have survived. The devil doesn't get to rule until he wipes out all of creation. God won't let that happen. He gets a limited amount of time, so she's protected for that exact amount of time. You see the balance in the book of Revelation? For whatever period, the evil lasts. For whatever period, the tribulation goes. For whatever period the testing happens, for whatever period the wicked trample the outer court, for that exact same period of time, the righteous are protected in the inner court. For that exact same frame of time, Israel is protected out in the wilderness. She's been carried away into diaspora. The Romans didn't capture Israel and drag them into Rome, they just scattered them across the Roman Empire so that they couldn't organize, so that they wouldn't all be in one place, so that they didn't have a central place to worship and a central city to call their home anymore. They were scattered because the Romans believed they would take their arts, their professions, their skills and abilities out into the empire and strengthen the empire but they would lose their national identity, their religious identity. They would be absorbed into Rome and Roman culture to the point that they wouldn't be a problem anymore. At least that was the intention. She flies into her sanctuary in the wilderness where she's protected for a time, times, and half a time from the presence of the dragon. And the dragon spewed a river of water from his mouth like a flood in the direction of the woman. Now remember, she's flying. So I don't know what good a river is going to do. The implication is, is twofold. She's above whatever the dragon does. He can't reach her. But he's going to try. Now the big question is, what is this spew of water? What is this river, this flood of water that the devil ejects from his mouth in the direction of the woman? 
Well, there are a couple of clues that I think are pertinent. When we get to chapter 17 in the book of Revelation, uh, the, the sign of the great prostitute sitting on the waters is going to be explained. And the explanation that John has given is that the many waters upon which the great prostitute sits are people, nations, tribes, languages of the entire world. I think that's in some way prescriptive. I think the symbols are consistent. And so here, the dragon spews this great flood out of his mouth. He doesn't wave his hand and and cause it to happen. He doesn't gather it from the sea and throw it at her. He spews it from his mouth. What comes out of the mouth? Words, slander, blasphemy, gossip, public opinion. I think it's pretty clear that what the dragon tries to do in order to discredit Israel is he turns public opinion against her. This just fits perfectly with what these seven little bitty churches were feeling as part of the Roman Empire, as part of the province of Asia in the Roman Empire. They had come out of Palestine. They had moved up into what's now Turkey. It it wasn't a popular place for them then, still isn't today. There are still Christians there. They're a minority. They were against, they were up against the people of the area where they lived and they were up against the empire that controlled the whole thing. Public opinion was not in their favor. It hadn't been since Nero had used them as the scapegoat for all of his mismanagement of the Roman Empire. And it's been 30 years since that happened by the time John writes the book of Revelation. They've not been popular in their culture for a long time. They would understand this very clearly, that they were forced out into the diaspora. They were scattered away from Israel and Jerusalem. They were transplanted out into wherever in the Roman Empire they could find to settle and and practice their craft and make a living. And then the devil, Nero, the emperor, the controller of the empire, not the ruler of the kingdom, but the, the ruler of the empire turned the public opinion, spewed his hatred at them to try and wash them away, to try and blame the church and the people from which they came, the Jews, for whatever was happening in the Roman Empire. And you'll notice if you study just a little bit of history, wherever the Jews have gone, at whatever point in history, they get scattered, they get abused, and constantly the emperors under which they live are turning public opinion against them and causing persecution. And it still goes on to this day. But the Jews are still out here in the wilderness, still protected, still surviving, still thriving in most cases, still going on. Even after 
events like the Holocaust, the Jews have persisted because the theological perspective from the book of Revelation would be God continues to protect them. They are still his covenant people. It's the Old Testament covenant. And you and I as Christians will wrinkle our noses at it and find it inadequate. But it's the covenant that they have with God. It's his promise to them that he will be their God and they will be his people. Now, they may not live in the fullness of Christ, but they live under covenant with God. And I think he's still obviously protecting them. If you think I'm wrong, you can shout at your device that's playing this podcast right now and just tell me that I'm wrong. But I think it fits. The earth helped the woman and opened itself up, opened its mouth and swallowed the river of hatred that the dragon had spewed at the woman. That's really an interesting thing to consider here. That whatever the devil has thrown at the Jews, the world has absorbed it. I mean, when you think about the Holocaust and over 6 million Jews being removed from the face of the earth in just a few years, you would think that might discourage people from being Jews. You would think that might nearly wipe them out. But it's like the world absorbed that hit and the Jews carried on. It's like it was literally swallowed up. The nations of the world rose up and put a stop to the to the despot who was persecuting and murdering the Jews. That's what happens to evil people in this world. Even the lost world won't tolerate that much evil. And it responds at some point, it rises up and it swallows up the evil and the Jews persist. They carry on. I think that's a tremendously remarkable perspective right here in the book of Revelation. And then the dragon was angry because of the woman. He still blames the woman. He still blames Israel for all of his problems. Because if there hadn't been an Israel, there wouldn't be a Messiah. If there hadn't been a Messiah, there wouldn't have been a cross. If there wasn't a cross, he wouldn't be a defeated foe. If it hadn't been for the woman who gave birth to that Messiah, people wouldn't be able to simply resist him and he would flee. His whole scheme was ruined by the Messiah that came from Israel. And so he is angry because he blames Israel for everything that's happened to him. He can't reach her son, the Messiah. He can't get to her. And so in verse 17, it says, the dragon, angry because of the woman, left to wage war with the rest of her children. Brothers and sisters of that one male child who was snatched away into the presence of God. Brothers and sisters of that Messiah. Wow. That's the Holy Spirit's perspective that John relates to us. So he went 
to wage war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and maintained their witness to Jesus. Boom. In the last word of this chapter, he says, this is who you are. He, he gives you the key to the entire little vision when he says the rest of the children are those who keep the commandments of God and maintain their witness, right? The witness and the word, the two, the two witnesses, the church and the word. This is the church maintaining its witness to Jesus Christ, the word. There's those two things again. They are the ones who keep the commandments and uphold their witness to Jesus. All of this turmoil, all of this kind of what ancient scholars would call the combat myth, the war in heaven, which in other cultures was the war for creating the earth. In this instance, John adapts that kind of combat myth picture and and the Holy Spirit uses it to show how the church was formed, not how the world was formed, but how the church was formed out of what had been combat and conflict with a people who'd lived in conflict with God. The name Israel means the one who grapples with God, the one who who combats with God. Out of all of that combativeness, out of that struggle, out of that wrestling Israel with the angel, out of that struggle and combat comes the church. It's a whole different kind of creation story. And it's not about how the world was born. It's about how the church is born. See? It's about where you came from. You came out of conflict. You came out of a generation's old conflict with a group of people that God desperately wanted to have a relationship with and they continually walked away from it. They continually chose other things, other gods, other distractions instead of God himself. And so from that imperfect combative group was birthed a Messiah who empowered a church to live as the people of God without the combat, without the struggle, but in peace and forgiveness and redemption. I hope that's where you find yourself today. I hope you're part of that church. If not, come with us and be part of that church. Go have a great day.